This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. All right, let us center ourselves for worship. Down, I was going to use you as an example. I was going to say, let's join Skip and David in standing and joining in our call to worship as we are able. That was amazing, kids. Thank you. What a wondrous day of life this is. We are blessed and uplifted by the Spirit. We have a path before us and know that God goes with us along its ways. Hand in hand with God. Children of God, rejoice. Rejoice and be glad. Praise and thanks to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah indeed. Let us remain standing in body or spirit as we join in our hymn of celebration from all that dwells below the skies.
Melody Makers, you are wonderful leaders of our church, reminding us, yes indeed, that God is near us and with us along the journey. Let us go to God with our personal prayers. Awesome and almighty God, buoyed by your living waters, we are at peace in seas of stress and success, detoured on the walkways leading to your joy. We find our way out of the mazes of meetings and deadlines. Nourished at your picnic in the garden of grace, our shredded souls are anointed by your healing. You slow us down just enough as we try to escape the very lives we think we want so that goodness and mercy can catch up with us and carry us into your heart. God in community, holy in one, may you always be with us on our journey. Lord, we celebrate and give thanks for all of the people, our people of all ages, but most especially the children and youth who call UMC WV your church home. Be with them, guide them, direct them, and support them. O oh Lord, hear our prayers. Awesome and almighty God, we do remember that you are with us on our journey and that you offer us all that we need to go along and persevere in the adventure that we call life. We hold all of these prayers tenderly up to you as we pray the prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. our stewardship campaign and we have the opportunity to reflect on the three G's of grace, gratitude, and generosity. We have the opportunity to respond to God's grace in our lives by expressing our gratitude through our generosity. Nick is going to sing a beautiful song for us, which many of you will recognize since it's amazing grace, and I invite you to prayerfully encounter God in Christ over this. And when you are ready, we're not, you're not going to be dismissed from your pews, but when you're ready, feel, forward to, feel free to come forward and place your commitment cards in the basket so that you have the opportunity to respond to God's grace. If you are feeling like getting up to the basket is something that you are not physically able to do, please flag down one of our ushers and they will come to you and get your commitment card so it can be placed in the basket for you. Thank you. 
Almighty God, your grace truly is amazing. We are in awe for the ways in which you have surrounded us with your love and tender mercies. We respond with gratitude to the generosity that you have poured so freely over us and hope and pray that our lives are generous offerings of that grace to others as well. Please accept these commitment cards that they might truly be used for your continued work of furthering the kingdom. 
allow your grace to flow down abundantly upon these gifts that they might be a generous offering of gratitude for a world in need. In your name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Listen and receive a reading from the Word of God. May we affirm our faith with joy and a willing spirit as we hear today's scripture. Our reading is from Acts 2, 43 through 47. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the will, goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This is God's word to God's people. Our anthem this morning is an arrangement based on Luther's A Mighty Fortress is Our God. It was written to commemorate the 500th anniversary of Luther's publication of his 95 Theses. And this arrangement offers a glimpse of Luther's hymn through history. You will hear the opening blows of Luther's hammer as he hammers the thesis on the wall, the door. You'll hear Renaissance rhythms of Luther's original version. You will also hear harmony that's more like Bach that the Lutheran church used 200 years later. You will also hear modern material that is based on the rhythms and the uh, melodies of Luther's original hymnal. Uh, this is a mighty fortress is our God. Power our 
We can go home. Don't you think? Uh, Robert, no. Seriously. <laughs> Thank you, choir. And uh, not only so stirring because such a great piece of music, but also um, for us as a congregation, having uh, cohabitated with the Lutherans for quite a while, it's part of who we are, that, that we uh, honor uh, them and this most important year. So thank you, choir, for, for doing that. I don't know if, if this is anything that you all resonate with or not, but I, I love to think about what was going on in the Bible um, underneath the text and behind the scenes, um, what it must have really kind of been like. I, I imagine that those days after the resurrection must have been just very, very um, confusing and heady days for the disciples. Imagine if, if you had witnessed the results of a resurrection, that startling reversal from, from death to life, from that feeling of defeat that we all had felt on Friday and Saturday to this, this joyful feeling of, of triumph. The impact upon your lives to have been an eyewitness to, to that kind of experience. What must that have been like? I imagine that there probably was a lot of confusion over just what do we do now? We, we didn't expect this. The notion that it's not over. So we thought it was going to be over. But it's not over. It's just beginning. Something is just beginning. There must have been a dawning sense that there was a more that was about to happen that was, they were going to be a part of, though they... I'm sure, were a little uncertain as to what that more was going to be. I imagine them talking in the upper room and in other places about, well, what, what is it that we say then in light of what we've just witnessed? And turning to one another and saying, well, what, what did Jesus say? Do you remember when he was up by the lake? And remember when he was feeding the 5,000? Remember when he raised Lazarus? Do you remember... When he healed the, what was his words? What did he say when he was on the boat and everybody was in that little amphitheater of the hillside listening to him? What would, how do we say that? How do, how do we put into our words what he said? What's our message to be? What's the primary thing that we're supposed to be saying? I imagine that there was probably some very practical concerns about, well, how and where do we get ourselves together? What do we exactly do when we get together? How do we support one another in whatever this is that we are going to do? How do we carry on Jesus' message and ministry? Early days turn into early years. The Jesus movement turns into the early church. And we see that they're gathering in people's homes and they're calling them home churches. And we see that they're empowering people to go out and to spread the word. And, and we realize that they're nurturing other people who come to them, yet those folk are a little bit more dependent. They're gathering resources and they're dispensing resources. 
They're identifying new leaders and coaching them up and sending them out. They're evading persecution and they're suffering persecution and they are surmounting persecution. Now, if we don't pay much attention, we might think that this all that the Bible tells us about happened in a pretty smooth transition, a, a natural kind of progression of things. One thing led to another, and before you know it, well, you have a church that's doing effective religious stuff in a culture. But the truth of the matter is that it was an uncertain and very complicated and very difficult transformation. The Acts passage that you heard this morning was written some 30 to 40 years after what it's writing about. The Acts passage is written from a perspective of things having evolved already and moved forward and moved off of somewhat of a, a dicey uncertain to a little bit more stable to a little more evidently successful footing that they're feeling that there's time now to kind of codify this. We ought to write down what happened. We need to set down on paper these things we're remembering because this generation is passing. And so they're writing with that view of some 40 years ago. What was your life like? What do you remember 40 years ago? Well, these were pretty dramatic things. So they were helped in that memory, I think, not only by the drama of it and by the spirit of God stimulating them. They remembered that the apostles and the disciples, they got together and they had fellowship. They had a good amount of fellowship. They, they became what felt like a caring family. They, they collected resources and they gave out resources to one another for the common good, for everyone's general well-being. They spent a lot of time at the temple in the beginning. That's remembered. And it's also remembered that they gathered at people's homes. They remembered that they were held in good esteem by the community. That they had glad and generous hearts. That there was a whole lot of praising of God that was going on. Now it's not so much, I'm not saying that it's so much that the author of Luke Acts is sanitizing what went on. What I'm saying is that the author is summarizing what went on. And it rests upon what emerged to be successful. But we do them a disservice, and we do ourselves a disservice in the reading of this if we think it was a foregone conclusion that it all worked out right. Because they did not feel that way. Just as Luther was nailing those theses on the wall in Wittenberg, and with all movements, as you begin them, you are passionate and you want success and you're investing yourself in it to make it happen. But you're also wondering, geez, is this going to work? What's going to come of this? What excites me 
so much as a pastor and a Bible student, is that such marvelous things emerged from such difficult, uncharted, and frankly, dangerous circumstances. Stephen is stoned. How many others are stoned but not recorded? The followers within a year are run out of the temple and within 10 years they're run out of Jerusalem. No Christians left in the holy city. Roman authorities are bullying believers and they are imprisoning believers and then before too long they start killing believers. Imagine if you lived in that circumstance Does it look like you're winning? Does it look like this is succeeding? You're being round up and slaughtered. There was no guarantee, I think, that the movement would spread or that the church would emerge successful in their thinking. Think about it. What I'm saying is like this. When the Dodgers win the World Series, we will look back on it and go, of course, of course they won. Of course they won. But last night in the eighth inning, you weren't feeling that way. And if you're truthful about it, right now you're not feeling that way either. You're just kind of wondering, right? just kind of wondering. So that's silly, right? That's silly. And we're talking about very serious stuff, but it's very much a similar psychological thing of when you're in the midst of something, it's hard to tell where it's going to come out. And I'd like to suggest to you this morning, when we don't, when we don't grasp that dynamic nature of those days, When we don't grasp the iffiness of what these guys are feeling, if if we don't grasp the it's against all the odds kind of nature of things that this early movement was feeling, we miss something tremendous. We miss the redemptive act of God changing things that look so dismal and seem so bad into good outcomes. If you think it's a foregone conclusion, then it's not so dramatic, is it? But if it's not a foregone conclusion, if you're really living in that uncertainty, then God's action of bringing resurrection out of death is remarkable. bringing in a positive out of some really negative things. It's a miracle. And if you think it was a foregone conclusion, you're missing the miracle. Not just of the resurrection, but the miracle of the growth of faith. We miss we miss out on the wonder of what God can do with people of faith. 
because surely they had faith if they went to their death. And what's most sad is that we miss out on the possibility of God doing some amazing things through us. We live in some uncertain times. Over my 40 years of ministry, the church has become more and more and more marginalized. The, the kind of church that I love is being relegated to the sidelines. The kind of Christianity that I talk is, is off to the margins of the society. And there's some other people who call themselves Christians who are talking a lot, and they don't sound like me. I feel a little lost. Yet, people are hungering, and it's growing daily. They are thirsting for the real living water. Our values, these values that I thought were just uh, commonplace and, of course, values. Values of, well, of truth-telling and selfless compassion to others, of, of human respect for others, of care for the creation because we're all in it together living on this thing. It's got to survive. These things that seemed self-evident to me, well, they, they seem to be abandoned. Yet people are yearning across the globe for peace, for justice. They are praying the earth survives. They want to continue in life through their grandchildren. We live at a crossroads. And we can't return to the past. We can't get back to the 1950s or 1920s or 1830s, wherever it is you think the sweet spot is for America, or wherever you think the sweet spot is for us humans, we can't get back to there. And we don't want to get back to there. Yet, we also feel like we can't find our way together to the future. And I want to suggest to you this morning that I think our faith has something to say about this predicament. I want to say that I think our religious movement has a witness to make about a better tomorrow. And if you're familiar with Brian McLaren, uh, if not, get one of his books. He's a, a marvelous contemporary author that um, tries to figure out what's going on in church life and in society and make some sense of that. Well, if he's right, our getting to our future is going to take some pretty big developments. And he would say one of those developments is having faith become more about a way of life, how we live, than about a set of doctrines and beliefs.
He feels that our theological thinking needs to be more concretely about Jesus' nonviolent God of liberation of people rather than the warrior God of domination and judgment that sometimes we find ourselves following. And to those two, he would add a third, which is there needs to be a mission at the heart of the church that is about organizing people to the experience of abundant life rather than trying to maintain the institution of the tradition. You'll hear Rachel and I touch on these themes off and on as uh, time passes. They're important for us to think through to help ourselves move forward. But there was one thing in his book recently that I read that I thought was just marvelous, and, and I, I want to share it with you. He's, He's relaying a story of where he's with a bunch of ecumenical leaders and they're at some kind of retreat of some kind. They're trying to figure out, you know, what does the future hold? How do we get there? What are we gonna do? And after one of the sessions, uh, a, a rabbi is invited to come up and, and offer the prayer that would end that day. And she made a, a reference to Moses in her prayer for the group. And, and that's not really unusual. That You would think that'd be commonplace. But what she said about it, got Brian's attention, and it stuck with him, and I share it with you. She referenced how Moses, in her mind, as she saw Moses, the Red Sea, the Exodus happening, that the Red Sea did not part until the people stepped out into it. You get that? Not until the people came up to the Red Sea and claimed the faith that had led them, decided that God was with them, and that they would trust in what they would told and they would step forward. It was only then that the Red Sea parted. Here's what he writes. We hear the call to go forward, not after the sea has opened, but before. The call to get moving comes not after the way is clear, but while it still seems impassable. The call to join in the great migration, which is what he calls it, the great migration away from the old towards the new, comes not when we have everything figured out and settled and made certain and not when all the obstacles have been removed, but before, when chaos, uncertainty, and turmoil prevail. 
And when the rolling sea shows no signs of parting. That's powerful. And I think they are words for us. Maybe something we missed that the disciples embraced when we just see the summary given us in Acts. We live in uncertain times for the church, for our nation, for the world, yes, for the denomination, we Methodists, yes, we live in uncertain times. For, well, for us as a denomination, we live in uncertain times. How will you survive, Rachel and I? If you took a close look at the letter that was sent out for the campaign, if you looked at that financial stuff, it says that you underwrite our expenses by 17%. What, what we feel we need to do in ministry through our congregation, we underfund by apparently 17%, it looks like. How do we go forward? The sea is roiling. I would suggest that we dare, we dare to trust God as we face the sea to step forward. To move forward. I would suggest that we dare to cling to the cross and to the empty tomb and think that it applies to us. To dare to believe that God is not done with us yet. Though we look in the mirror and we wonder that there is yet still more from God through us. That we dare to assume that God goes with us, that God is here with us now, and God will journey forward with us in the days ahead. That we dare to assert that there will be a way made through the sea if we are faithful and step out and go forward. Amen. Amen. Claiming our faith, we step into the unknown, trusting that God goes with us on the journey. <laughs> the times that things seem impassable and impossible, that's when we have the opportunity to say yes to God with our very beings, our lives, and our gifts so that God can make all things possible. Our ushers will wait upon us at this time.
exactly where these gifts are going, but we do know that they are going to the furthering of your kingdom. Accept these gifts as signs of our gratitude for the ways that you have already blessed us so richly, and use them to make your kingdom made known here on earth. Amen. Amen. Oh, let us remain standing as we join in our closing hymn, number 572, Pass It On. <laughs> So let's receive the benediction and the choral introit as we are sent out. Holy God, we thank you for your rich blessings, the spirit that surrounds us and that bubbles up from within us. We ask that you would help us to prize that and to carry it forward into the world. Amen. Amen. God be with you till we be.